0: Welcome back, folks. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM Fred. And we got a great show for you here today. A little bit of a, a brief show, a little bit shorter than what we've had in recent uh recent weeks. Uh we're gonna jump in, we're gonna take a look at some of the breaking news around the NFL. There's been a ton of it in terms of some big transactional stuff, some big coaching hires, and some other really huge stories that came out in the past week. And then we're gonna take a look back at the championship weekend. Uh, give us give you our thoughts on both of the games. Uh, as we get a little deeper and deeper into the season here, uh, our synopsis get a little bit shorter. So uh, that works out to your guys' effect if you don't like the long-winded stuff. But uh, then to round out the show, we're going to be taking a look at our top five offensive tackles and our top five interior offensive linemen from 2021. I know we said we were going to try to get to the, some of the defenders, but uh, we had to push that off a week. So without further ado, let's get right after it. So tuning right into our breaking news section of the pod. It's going to be really long, so just bear with us here because we're going to hit on all all kinds of different topics that have come up in the last week. And I've really tried to withhold my opinion on a lot of them online just to save them for the pod here. But right off the bat, the the biggest news, in my opinion, from the last week, it's going to be the Tom Brady news. Uh, Tom Brady announces his retirement from the NFL after uh, I believe it's 22 NFL seasons, and it's just absolutely remarkable what this guy has done for the sport. Uh, he created the dynasty, essentially, or was part of the dynasty in New England when they went and won three Super Bowls. Uh, he continued to win a couple, uh, three more there as well, and then he wins one down in Tampa Bay as well, too, pretty much holding every significant passing record in the record book, uh, pretty much holding every single playoff record in the record book, and he ends up winning a Super Bowl for two different Uh, franchises. And it's just absolutely remarkable what he was able to do at the age of 44. He led the NFL in touchdown passes and er, passing yardage. And really, he's really going out on top. Uh, I thought that he was number two in the MVP voting this year and very well could have been one in a lot of people's eyes. And really... I I just can't say enough good things about him. Uh, what he was able to do in Tampa just really cemented his legacy. Like, really, this is this is the guy. Like, this is the guy. Like, nobody else in the world could have done this. And just what he was able to do coming into that situation. And they were really one piece away and just completely overtook that organization. And really, when you take a look at it, uh, I was just a young kid when he started his career in, Tam- in uh, New England. And, After a while, it was just like, these guys are always here. They're always winning. It was like, you're almost burnt out on the guy. You were watching greatness happen right in front of your eyes. And you just couldn't even account for what was going on at the time. But it was really something special. And it's something that we'll probably never, ever see again. And I I went on a limb and I said that he's the greatest athlete in the history of sports to ever compete. And I, I stand by that. He's got the most championships. I mean, maybe second to Bill Russell. But I mean, this guy—this is a guy that played for twenty-two years, and an extremely physical sport. And just what he was able to do has been absolutely remarkable at the most important position in all of, all of football, and maybe all of sports. So it's, it was truly um, a harrowing day in the NFL and in sports in general, because one of the greatest to ever do it, if not the greatest athlete to ever do it stepped down and stepped away from the game and I'm guaranteeing he's going to be successful in whatever he decides to do next I know he's got a few businesses out there but it's really big time and hats off to Tom Brady for helping create the NFL we know and love today so happy trails Tom it was a great time watching you play football and really be an ambassador for the game of football so moving right on into the next thing I wanted to make sure we touched on here it's going to be the coaching carousel so I'm going to include this here just because there's so much movement that was happening but the Denver Broncos ended up hiring Nathaniel Hackett he's the former OC for the Green Bay Packers uh this is actually one of the ones that I I tried predicting early in the in the coaching carousel business here I just I thought it made a really lot of sense uh they're one guy away he's he's had this aura about him and his time in Green Bay that a lot of people like playing for him they like coaching with him and I just thought that that was a, a really phenomenal high energy dude that could come in and just bolster this team that was kind of they had a good defense under Fangio but they played kind of flat in my opinion this is a guy that's going to get the fire out of him and he's whether you're going to bring in a young guy to help coach him up he worked with Blake Bortles during his time in Jacksonville or if you're going to bring in a tenured vet he worked with Aaron Rodgers and get the got the best out of him the last two years so this is a, a guy that's got experience on both sides of the coin. And I, honestly, it's not even what he does with the passing game. I like what he can do with the running game. Because when you think about those Jacksonville Jaguar years, that was some of Leonard Fournette's best football. Uh, and when you think about the last two years in Green Bay, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have been really key pieces in that offense. So I I like what they can do with the run game. And honestly, having Melvin Gordon there, who's a free agent, I think they could bring him back to pair with Javante Williams and and really get a dynamic rushing attack because there's a lot of pieces in place on that offense. So Nathaniel Hackett, great hire by the Broncos in our opinion. Taking us right into the next one, it's going to be the Raiders and they elect to move on from Bisaccia and hire Josh McDaniels. And really Josh McDaniels was a huge uh i i didn't think he'd ever leave new england i was shocked to hear that he was the leading candidate for this like i mean it, it's i mean it's it's repetitive at this point but like it's it's a shame that we have to say like is is he going to show up for the job but he showed up for the interview and i think he's a he's a i'm not gonna say a home run hire but i like to hire I mean, I think he really proved this year that having a capable offense under a rookie quarterback based around the running attack, I think that's big cuz like when you look at the Raiders, uh, I know Derek Carrs looked really good this year, but like they got Josh Jacobs as a first round running back. You can maximize that player there. And I honestly I think their weapons might even be better in Oakland or excuse me, Las Vegas than uh, New England. Because you think about it, they got Darren Waller, they got Hunter Renfrow, uh Brian Edwards, and Zay Jones haven't looked bad at times. And you're comparing that to what Hunter Henry, Nelson Aguilar, and uh, Kendrick Bourne, and Jacoby Myers. Like, I mean, I, I, I honestly, I think I'm taking the Las Vegas Raiders in that head-to-head there. So I'm really excited for what Josh McDaniels can bring. I think he learned a lot. In his second stint there in New England once he got away from the, the Broncos. And everybody forgets that. I mean, this is a guy that was winning playoff games with Tim Tebow. Like, you give him Derek Carr, he's going to he's gonna make it look like gold here. So I have a lot of faith in Josh McDaniels. It, the division works against him with how tough it's going to be. But I think he was a great hire. I think they kind of knocked this one out of the part. Which is going to take us to the next hire. It's going to be the New York Giants. And there's, there's a piece of this that we're going to touch on after this part, after the carousel segment here but they ended up hiring Brian Dabble, Brian Dabble, a uh, former OC in the Buffalo Bills who is a big part of the reason of for the Josh Allen's turnaround the last uh couple of years here. And initially they had hired Joe Shane, the the former assistant GM I believe in Buffalo. He comes over, takes the reins for the New York Giants front office and brings his guy over with him. I think that this is I don't know if everybody's saying, oh, stock up for Daniel Jones. I don't think that means that they're going to keep him. If they get a guy that they like, they get a young guy in there that they want to play, they're going to play him. I don't think this ties you to Daniel Jones at all. And it'll be really interesting to see what they end up doing with this fifth-year option uh, because I believe that that's due up here very soon. That's going to be a dead giveaway on what, what his future in New York looks like. But I mean, this is going to be a straight up rebuild. I mean, they got two first round picks. There's not a lot of key pieces on this offense. I believe there's a big decision with Saquon Barkley coming down the road here. And there's just not a lot of stuff on this offense or in the defense. There's some pieces to like. Uh, You know, you got James Bradbury. I believe they signed a a Dory Jackson. Excuse me. Is it a Dory Jackson? I believe it's the corner I know from Tennessee that came over. And then uh, they also got Xavier McKinney in this, the secondary, who I really like. And then not to mention Aziz Ozilari up front to pair with Leonard Williams. So there's some, few, there's a few pieces here on this defense. I think it's it's more of a retooling on that side of the ball than it's a rebuild. But this offense needs a ton of help. They, I mean, I think they went like six or seven weeks without scoring a touchdown there. Something at the end of the year here. It was just something absolutely god-awful. So... I, you got the right guy to to help build an offense out. He's got experience at multiple levels. I believe he was with Alabama for a while. He was with New England for a while, and he was running the show there on offense for Buffalo. So they got one of the best uh, play callers in the league to help get them turn it around. So I really like the dabble hire. I just didn't see New York Giants being that attractive a job for him and Shane, so hats off to them. Which is going to take us over to the Chicago uh, situation as well, too. Chicago hires their coach. Uh, Matt Eberflus, former defensive coordinator for the Indianapolis Colts, and I'm in the and I'm in the party that I really liked Eberflus. He was actually one of my favorite defensive coordinators in the league. You just look at what that that Colts defense was for a lot of time in the mid two thousands, early two thousand tens with Peyton Manning, and they were just a sieve. Even under Andrew Luck, they're a sieve. They're giving up a ton of points. They just weren't able to really stay competitive on that side of the field. And what they've been able to do and build there in the last few years is is quite remarkable. Uh, behind the back of Darius Leonard and all these big time playmakers they've really been a turnover machine there Uh, they've really raised their defensive numbers across across the board and really being a respectable unit and that's what I think you're kind of looking for in these guys is someone that's been able to build something out of nothing because before he got there you're looking at like perpetual you know 29th 30th uh, low twenties uh, defenses in the league, and then he gets there, and you start seeing these upper half of the league, top tens and top fives, and all these different categories. And I just, I'm really excited for that. Uh, I'm really curious to see who he brings in as an OC because that's going to be a big piece of what Justin Fields' traject- trajectory looks like. Uh, I know there was a there's a mention on Twitter that Joe Brady is a name. That they're looking to bring in to work with Justin Fields, and I actually, I really would like that, but just because I don't think he was given the fair shake out in Carolina. I know we talked about that in the season when they let him go, but I, I would be really excited if they could bring Joe Brady in to work with Justin Fields. I think that's exactly the spark plug they would need. Just need to surround him with some more weapons. So building out the right uh staff, and I, I really like where that's starting out. So Matt Iberflus is a plus for me as well too. And then we got the last few jobs here that are still currently open as of this time of recording, Tuesday night at uh, 8 o'clock Central Standard Time. And it's the Miami job. Uh, we'll get to that in, in a few seconds here as well. But it's still currently open after they fri- fired up uh, Brian Flores. It sounds like they're bringing uh, Mike McDaniels, the OC, over in San Francisco back in for a second uh, round of interviews. And then Minnesota is still currently open as well. And as we speak, they're flying in uh Jim Harbaugh to interview and I seen someone mention something that you know Jim Harbaugh is dedicated to this job because he's missing National Signing Day at Michigan to come interview for this. So it sounds like that might be a slam dunk there as well too. I'm not a big fan of Harbaugh's and I I, I don't necessarily like that hire there in Minnesota. I thought that there was some other options on the table that would have been a little bit better. But nonetheless, uh it sounds like that's where he's headed. Uh, I know New Orleans as well as put in their name in the hat for a couple of these different guys. Uh, I believe Mike McDaniels, uh, Kevin O'Connell, I believe Brian Flores is in the mix there as well too. But uh, the New Orleans Saints is still currently open as well. And then the other one that I wanted to make sure I mention here because it is the most confusing thing that I've ever heard in my time of following the NFL. And it's going to be the Houston Texans and... They're rumored to have uh, interest in Kevin O'Connell, the OC for the Rams, along with a couple other teams. But the other guy that was brought in for second-round interviews, oh, my apologies, Brian Flores as well. And then the third guy is going to be Josh McCown. So just so we have this understanding, Josh McCown, I believe, was playing for the Texans, not last year, the year before. So he's only two years removed from the league. And you're going to bring in this guy who's never called plays He's never been a positional coach. I mean, I understand he was kind of like a, a pseudo coach on the his last couple of teams that he was on just because he was so old. And I believe he's like practice squad. He was only coming certain days of the week and stuff. But I mean, like, oh man, I just I don't get it. I don't I don't get it. He's never he's never at that level. He's never even at college. Like his most recent coaching experience, I believe, was at high school football. So, I mean, like, I know a ton of guys, myself included, that coach high school football. You want to give us a call and, you know, have us stand on the sidelines and try to call some plays? I mean, I'm cool I'm cool with it, but, man, it's just, it's wild. And I know he's, I actually have the utmost respect for Josh McCown. I, I used to love it back in the day when the Detroit Lions would line him up at wide receiver that game, and he caught, like, three, four passes, and, like, he was just this do-it-all, like, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it, and... When he got into his the veteran stages of his career, he was like this huge sounding board for the young guys. So I really loved him as a player. Just this whole process with the Texans is like really soured me on him. And it's not not his fault. If I was him, I'd take the job in a second. It's just this clown show of a front office that Houston is, is putting together and running. I just don't understand what they're trying to accomplish. And if he actually does get the job, I will be absolutely shocked. So that's what the the main pieces here that I wanted to touch on. For the care, the coaching carousel, and obviously on next week's show, um, I'm guessing a lot more of these will be filled. So we'll have a little bit more of an update for you there. But the last story I wanted to hit on that came out uh, this evening, and this is like ground, earth breaking, shattering news, I believe, for the NFL, and this is like going to be a huge black eye as they head in to the uh, the off season here and it's it's going to be the Brian Flores is filing a lawsuit against the n f l for essentially systemic racism against him in the hiring process and the the story goes is apparently in Miami, he knew his days were numbered because the owner Stephen Jones was trying to pay him a hundred thousand dollars to lose football games, which is a huge no no in my opinion and i I seen Andrew Brandt mentioned it, especially in a league that's that's trying to like embrace gambling and make money off this now you you have this appearance that the owners are trying to throw games, which is, like, crazy. Like, that is, like, that's the stuff that gets gambling banned forever. And, like, I can't even believe that's happening. It's it's just a complete shock to me that I was reading that. And f- essentially, Flores says, no, I want to win football games because that's what he is. He comes from this Belichick tree. He's a competitor. He loves winning football games. Guys love playing for him. They play hard. And that's exactly what he did in Miami. But nonetheless... On on same said cruise, they were trying to tamper with quarterbacks. Uh, they had a unnamed free agent quarterback, or not free agent, uh, unnamed quarterback was going to. If you if you could see me, I'd be doing air quotes, but happened to show up at the same time on the same cruise as them, which is completely tampering. And once again, Flores completely shot this all down. He says it's completely unethical. Didn't want any part of it. Nonetheless, they leave this. He knows his job is pretty much numbered at this point, uh, or his days are numbered at this point. So then fast forward to this year, he gets fired uh, due to some discrepancies in the front office here. And now the story comes out that he's been interviewing for these jobs. He interviewed in Houston. He's interviewing in New Orleans. He's interviewing in New York. And supposedly before this New York interview, he gets a text message from Bill Belichick saying, Congratulations! It's it sounds like uh, after talking with the Buffalo Bills and uh, the Giants, it sounds like you got the job. And like Flores is taken back. He's like, Are you, "Did you mean to text that to Brian Dabble?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, you know, I effed up. That's my bad." Uh, sounds like he got the job. And he's like, "I apologize, Brian. You know all the all this stuff." And all he says is thanks, Bill. And like essentially, he was going into a stage interview. They had already made their hire. They were just trying to basically appease the Rooney rule and hire an African-American or interview an African-American coach, even though they knew in their mind they weren't going to do it. And that is just absolutely staggering to me. And I mean, if you liked Brian Dabble, just come out and say it. We like Brian Dabble. You know, I I mean, unless Brian Flores was going to blow your doors off and, you had unless you had your mindset like I I just I I don't understand I can't even defend the actions here it's just it's an embarrassing it's an embarrassing story for the New York Giants it's an embarrassing story for the Miami Dolphins it's an embarrassing story for the Denver Broncos who are tied to this as well he said that this wasn't the first time he'd been on a phony interview he says he shows up to Denver uh, a couple years back when they were trying to hire Vic Fangio and everybody showed up late and they all showed up hungover because they were all partying because they knew that they were going to hire Vic Fangio. It was just a dummy interview, interviewing with Brian Flores. And it's 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 despicable that what was going on here in all these interviews. And, like, in my opinion, he's a phenomenal coach. Like, why are you, like, <laughs> hanging him out to dry like this? And it's it sucks that he has to kind of, like, sacri- be the sacrificial lamb here for his career to, to get this stuff steered in the right direction. But I, I just think we need to hire – Good leaders, hire good leaders, hire good football coaches. Who cares what their race is? Hire good football coaches. Brian Flores is a good football coach. He wins football games for your team. I think he needs to be on your staff. So this is going to get a whole lot messier before it's going to get any better. And I'm I'm sure that there's some there's some PR on the ground NFL wise uh, what they're going to try to do about this. But hats off to Brian Flores. This is a big step in the right direction for the entire league, and. I'm glad that he's shedding light on this. I'm glad that it's it's finally coming to the forefront because it's stuff that everybody's been talking about for so long. And now they're going to finally do something about it. It just sucks that a guy has to take this hit on his career for it to happen. So uh, we'll monitor that one as it keeps going. But I, I thought it was really important that we mentioned that here on this week's uh, pod. So <laughs> that's it for our breaking news segment here. I apologize it ran so long, but we're going to jump right into the the week review of championship weekend. Taking a look back at championship weekend, and we had an absolutely wild championship weekend. It didn't disappoint after what we saw from the divisional round. And the first game was the Bengals at the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs are the overwhelming favorites in this one. I believe the Bengals were seven-point dogs and into this. And I I honestly didn't think the Bengals were going to win. I thought the Chiefs had this one knocked up. I thought the Bengals would cover. I thought seven points was a lot. But I definitely thought the Chiefs were going to win, and if you were watching the first half, whew, did they come out scorching? They were winning, I believe, twenty-one to three at one point, and ended up taking a twenty-one to ten lead into halftime. And anybody that was watching the game is there was a huge decision right before the half. The the Chiefs march it down, and they can either kick the field goal and go up by. 14 or they can go for the touchdown and be up by 11 if they don't get it and they ended up going for it they don't get it time runs time runs out uh they end up getting zero points out of that and it was just this is a shootout for the ages it was an absolutely beautiful game and then this is going to be known forever as the joe burrow game because this guy just is never shook at all and like he has so much moxie and this team really believes in him they love him this entire like He's taken the entire country by storm. Anybody that was rooting in that game was rooting for the Bengals unless you're from the state of Missouri. Like, there's not a lot of Chiefs fans out there outside of, or I I should say there is a lot of Chiefs fans out there. But in this game, there wasn't many because Joe Burrow is just so likable. And like the competitive spirit he plays with and you look at the weapons he's throwing to he's got all these guys that are so good at football jamar chase t higgins tyler boyd joe mixon cj usama like the the list goes on and on here i know the offensive line is not that great it sounded like they were rotating guards throughout the game uh, just because they were so bad and they're gonna have to look find some answers here uh, before they get to the super bowl but this one was a game for the ages uh, they end up taking the lead at the end, and then they give the ball back to the Kansas City Chiefs, and you think, oh, here we go again. They got a lot more than 13 seconds this time, and Patrick Mahomes drives it down, and they get within, like, the 30 to 20-yard line. It's a chip chip shot field goal, and he gets sacked, and he recovers his own fumble, and they end up having to kick the field goal to tie it up push it into OT and they drive down and this Evan McPherson just ice in his veins. He's just nailing field goal after field goal, week after week, fifty plus yarder, fifty plus yarder. And it just it's a true testament. It's a it's I don't even know the words to find it. It's just so it was this just beautiful football game and this, this underdog story that they're, they're coming from behind, and nobody believed it. If I would have told you three, four weeks ago that the Bengals were going to be in the Super Bowl, there's no way we would have believed it. So I just, I love the whole thing about it. And this whole storyline that it's Patrick Mahomes' league, everybody else is just playing. And Joe Burrow's like, hold up a minute here. Not quite yet. Ends up with 250 yards, two touchdowns and one pick. So great game by the, the, the Bengals overall. I was absolutely astonished by the, this Bengals defense in the second half I believe Patrick Mahomes had like three touchdowns and 220 yards in the first half and he comes out with like 50 just over 50 yards and two picks in the second half so it was it was really impressive what the Bengals were able to do with that front four and what their coverage is be able to do on the back side and I think that that's that's going to be a key piece for them moving forward but hats off to the Bengals they make it to the Super Bowl and send the Kansas City Chiefs packing in their own stadium which is going to take us right into the afternoon game. And it's going to be the Los Angeles Rams uh, against the San Francisco 49ers uh, third round here. And we get an absolute nail-biter again. Like I said, this week was not short on drama. But the Rams pulled this one out 20-17. to And really, I, I it wasn't that bad of a game by Matt Stafford again. He ends up with 337 yards, two touchdowns, and one pick. And it was another struggle on the ground for them. They really couldn't get much going in that that aspect with Akers and Sony Michelle. But it it was just a heavyweight battle of defenses here. They did a really good job of uh, actually taking care of the football in this one. Both teams did. They had uh, even on the turnover battle, it was zero, one, one pick per team. But it was one of those games where you're watching and you're thinking that the Rams just have to be dominating this one. They're pretty much moving the ball at will with Cup and Odell Beckham spreading the ball around. But next thing you know, you look at it, and the 49ers are like making a push for this, and <laughs> they're hanging with them, they're hanging tough. Once again, they're they're getting Debo Samuel the ball in space and letting him move the ball. And like he's just such a special player. You look at the guy, he's built like 215-220 pounds but he can run routes beautifully. He can move the chains, you know, in that 5 to 15-yard, you know, intermediate route space. He can push the ball vertically. He can catch at the line of scrimmage and take it to the house, which is exactly what he did in this one. So I just, I really like what Debo can do. It was just very clear that Jimmy Garoppolo limits your ceiling here. He doesn't have a lot of oomph on his passes if he's not able to step into his throws. He's not always making the wisest decisions. And especially when the rushing game's Really struggling, and you have to lean on him to be your offense. I don't think he can quite do it. And I, I'm not saying he's like this awful, he shouldn't be a starter quarterback. I just don't think he's a quarterback that's going to be able to carry you to the big game like Joe Burrow does, like Matt Stafford was able to do, like we've seen Tom Brady do, like we've seen Aaron Rodgers do, like we've seen Patrick Mahomes do, like we've seen Josh Allen do just this playoffs. Like all these guys are guys that can be your entire offense. And move the chains and get you big plays when you need them. And I just don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is one of them. Uh, I think he'll be starting somewhere next year. It just won't be in uh, San Francisco. So, once again, big win for the Los Angeles Rams. They get to have the Super Bowl in their home stadium, facing off against the Bengals. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of storylines, and I don't want to dive too much into the Super Bowl stuff. I want to do that on next week's episode. We'll do a preview with our favorite headlines, Uh, we'll make our picks. And all that fun stuff. Shed some analysis on it as well, too. But I just wanted to make sure we got our uh, congratulations in order here for the Bengals and for the Rams for advancing. So next up on our top five rankings this week is where we're going to get into some of the offensive linemen. And uh, we're going to start off with the offensive tackles. And working our way up, it's going to be the number five offensive tackle from the 2021 NFL season. And that's going to be Andrew Whitworth for the uh, Los Angeles Rams. So I'm going to pull some stats here. And I know they're not going to be 100% indicative of who's the best and worst offensive lineman. But it's it's stuff that's supportive in my mind that makes them held accountable and graded based off of something. Because it's really hard to find stats for offensive linemen, as everybody knows. So number 5 Andrew Whitworth, uh, he ended up having a PFF grade of 86.1. Uh this is one of the more main factors I wanted to use to help indicate some of this stuff. But uh that's that's really high, especially at his uh his age right now. Andrew Whitworth, he's playing into his 40s uh besides uh Tom Brady, I believe he's in I think there's one kicker in the league too, but he's he's the oldest non-quarterback or specialist uh in the league right now. So uh, hats off to him playing a a position that you don't normally see guys excel into their late 30s and even 40s at this point for a guy so hats off to Andrew Whitworth and he's still playing at a very high level playing in the Super Bowl this week and he was also the, the the anchor on that offensive line for an offense that ended up seventh in scoring offense and ninth in yardage so it it's a true testament to what they were able to do uh, and really, it's mainly behind their passing attack. So he's he's going to get up against some of these these extremely difficult pass rushers like the Bosa, or Nick, me, I was going to say the Bosa brothers, but it's Nick Bosa over there in the, the 49ers twice a year and Chandler Jones over there in Arizona. So I think it's a a true testament, like I was saying, to how good he is and what how, how high of a level he's currently playing at still at that age. Not only is he doing great for his age he's doing great in the league as all overall so i'm giving him the number five spot on our list uh the number four spot is going to go to the los angeles chargers uh, left tackle it's going to be rashawn slater and everybody's going to say well isn't he a rookie you know he, he, there's no way he was that good this year and he was as advertised guys a, this guy was a ready to play player this year uh he was absolutely phenomenal and really helped upgrade this uh Los Angeles Chargers offensive line. You're gonna see another guy make this list later on. But uh he ended up with an 83.7 uh tackle grade for this year and really was a part of an offense that was extremely high flying. Uh they ended up being fifth in scoring and fourth in yardage with most of that damage coming through the air. Uh ended up second in yardage, I believe, as well, two fifth in T D passes the Los Angeles Chargers did. And the key issue that they had in years prior was keeping Herbert upright, keeping Philip Rivers upright and really he came in along with a couple other guys along that front and really anchored that offensive line Uh, you see some of these blitz happy teams that they got in the AFC West like uh, the Kansas City Chiefs and you look you look right down the the barrel over at uh, the Denver Broncos they also got Bradley Chubb over there and then Max Crosby what he was doing with Yannick Ngakwe the AFC West is extremely difficult to navigate and this rookie was absolutely lights out we've seen some of these guys come in from day one and really dominate the position uh, a la Tristan Wirfs the year before so no surprise to me that this guy ended up on our list and he's the number four offensive tackle in our mind from the past year moving right along into the next one here it's going to be Ryan Ramchek. he plays right tackle for the New Orleans Saints and Ryan Ramchek ended up grading out very well with PFF as well too I'm actually pulling up the score as we speak it's just a little more difficult to find on this list here than I was hoping But uh, Ryan Ramchick, I believe he's like a fifth or sixth year player uh, out of Wisconsin. And he ended up with an 84.7 PFF grade this past season. And once again, uh, you could probably do this for just about every division. But uh, he's going up against some premier pass rushers, especially when you look at what he's got in Brian Burns for the Carolina Panthers. And the guys over there in Tampa Bay with Jason Pierre-Paul, excuse me, uh, Shaq. Barrett it's not Shaq Barrett it's blowing my mind but it's a (laughs) I know he's a really dynamic pass rusher so I'm gonna look that up and get back to you guys on that one but uh, he's going up against some really talented folks there and I know their offense struggled at times but I think that that was more indicative of what they were doing at the quarterback position because I'm sure if we take a look at their rushing team they were 15th in yardage and 24th in touchdowns so they're right in the middle of the pack there but I know that they were kind of a revolving door at a lot of their positions. So that's why this this PFF grade is going to be a huge part of this as well, too. Because if you take a look as a whole, their offensive line struggled. They, they, they graded out either in the low 40s, mid 60s, mid 50s, except for his position. He was very dominant, and he's been a dominant right tackle for the last few years in the NFL. And I really think he deserves to make his way on this list here. Just a, a credit to how good he's been as of late these last few years. So, number th- three on our list, Ryan Ramcheck, which is when we're going to start getting to some of these elite guys here uh, that are like true uh, difference makers that are worth every penny that they're going to be making. And the number two offensive tackle this past year, in my mind, is going to end up being Trent Williams. Uh, Trent Williams uh, had one of the best PFF grapes, grades in all of the NFL this season. They ended up with 98.3 which is just absolutely bananas. And if you were watching that, uh, any of the playoff games, they do some really creative things with him just because of how athletic he is. They, they'll they put him at like a wing and they'll motion him in, and he's an absolute wrecking ball when it comes to the run game. But uh, he was uh, the anchor on the offensive line uh, that was 13th in points scored, 7th in yardage. And when we take a look at break it down by passing and rushing, they're the seventh ranked uh, rushing attacks in terms of yardage and 14th or excuse me, 12th in terms of passing yardage. And he's really just great all around. He's got some really great pass sets. He's able to go toe to toe with some of these really explosive speed rushers off the edge. But at the same time, he's able to be this absolute mauling force in the run game. And I I know he got paid a huge contract this last offseason. I think it was right around like $25 million a year, and he's worth every single penny. Uh, He's one of the most versatile uh, blockers in the entire game and really a huge part of what the San Francisco 49ers do in both the running and passing game. So he comes in at number two on our list here, which is going to take us right into the number one guy from this past season. And the number one offensive tackle from this season is going to end up being Tristan Wirfs of the Tampa, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and uh, the main reason I went with Tristan Wirfs being the number one offensive tackle uh, is is not PFF grade. It's it's his impact when he was on and when he was off the field. Uh, he ends up with a PFF grade of 85, which isn't bad, but it's not even going to quite sniff what uh, <laughs> uh, Trent Williams did this year. So you're going to say, well, how come you have him over him? When you look at that playoff game and the difference it made, When he was out and he didn't play, uh, Tom was getting shook up in that one. He was getting hit hard. He's getting hit often. And when you're going up against these fronts, the the difference between the guy that's stepping in for you and the guy that you have there, sometimes that's what wins you football games. And Tristan Wirfs really showed that he was a a big-time difference maker on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers offense that was number two in points scored and number two in yardage. And it, and it's not just coming through the air. They were the number one uh, passing offense in terms of yardage and TDs, but they're the number nine rushing uh, scoring team as well, too. And, I mean, Worst has been doing this at an extremely high level for two years now, and he was re- rewarded with a, a first-team All-Pro this year. So it's it's quite remarkable what he was able to do in the first couple of years in the league. And no surprise here he's going to end up at number one on my list. He's He's the best right tackle in the game. And, uh, and this year in 2021, just his impact when he's on and off the field is is really, really apparent. And that's why he's the number one offensive tackle from 2021, in my opinion. So just transitioning right over right away, we're going to just jump into the interior offensive lineman as well, too. And the first one that we're going to have on our list here, the number five interior offensive lineman, which is going to consist of guard, center guard, anybody that's in that, that territory there, is going to be Corey Lindsley. And uh, Corey Lindsley is the second best graded center by a a PFF grade here. He ends up coming in, excuse me, at, I apologize, it's hard to find the Chargers on the list here. It's 86.3 for the 2021 NFL season. And the only person that was graded higher than him was Creed Humphrey. And when I take a look at who Creed Humphrey's playing next to, it's a big difference compared to who the Linsley's playing for on the Chargers here. And like I said, the Chargers offensive line is is vastly improved. And I think that's more of a, a, a testament to Lindsley and Slater than it is to everybody else on this line. Because he's playing next to Matt Filer and Michael Schofield, which Matt Filer was a, was a pretty solid option this year. Michael Schofield's a little bit lower on the totem pole, but when you take a look at that Kansas City Chiefs team, you got Trey Smith and Joe Tooney on each side of them. Trey Smith was extremely solid this season, and Joe Tooney's like a, a perennial uh, all-pro candidate guy that is able to make the team pretty much any time uh, that he really wants. He was really good there in New England before even coming to Kansas City. So that's why I gave the nod to Lindsley here, because he said he was such a huge part of that Green Bay uh, offensive line, and coming over to the Los Angeles Chargers here, he's really teamed up and he's been a leader along that front, and really helped them excel. And like I said, I, I read off the stats when I was reading off for Rashawn Slater and what he's been able to do uh, to help vault this team into an, another stratosphere is is really really awesome, and it's it's great that uh, Justin Herbert's had a guy like him to work with here to to get his game straightened out moving forward. Moving right along into the fourth interior offensive lineman on our list for 2021. And it's going to end up being here, Joe Batonio. He's going to be uh, an offensive guard for the Cleveland Browns. And Joe Batonio, I I believe he was on the all pro list here as well too. And he's a part of a, a really, really stout offensive front for the Cleveland Browns. They ended up coming in in 20th and scoring offense, 18th in yardage. But when we just narrow it down here to their rushing attack, they are, and this offensive line is the driving force behind that rushing attack. And I, I know Nick Chubb made our running backs list, and he's a huge part of what they do, too. But you combine them together, this is a a year in, year out team that's going to be top five in rushing. And it was no different this year. They were fourth in yardage. But uh, taking a look at Petonio here, he was the. Uh, one of the higher ranked guards for the uh, the entire NFL when you're looking at a PFF grade, 93.6. And I just, I love his mauling attitude. and There's going to be a, another Cleveland guy on this list here, so no surprises. But just him and his partner here, they're just, they get after you. There's not a, a defensive front that scares these guys. And they're just so physical up front at their rushing attack that he he's truly a difference maker. There's not many guys better in the league and Joe Batonio coming in at number four on our list. Uh, number three our offensive guard, in my opinion, was Wyatt Teller, his, <laughs> the running mate for Joe Batonio there in Cleveland. Uh, they're p- playing opposite each other at the guard position. And Wyatt Teller ends up with an 84.4 uh, PFF grade, so he's a little bit lower than Joe Batonio. But once again, he's he's part of this dynamic front, and the reason I'm going to rank him higher is just – how over overtly physical this dude has been all season. Like I seen more highlight blocks, I believe, out of Wyatt Teller than I did out of Batonio. So he gave him a little bit of an edge. But if I could really do this, it'd be like a 3A, 3B kind of thing, where they're both just pretty much tied with each other. Just because I love these guys so much. I love these offensive guards that are just absolute animals that are just have this dog mentality that nobody's gonna stop them and they're gonna run over all of these defensive fronts. And this this Cleveland duo here is a really special one in the league and i think that that's exactly what they do they're not afraid of anybody and they're gonna fight you all game so that's why i gave them the third and four spots on our list here but that's gonna roll us right into the second ranked offensive guard or excuse me i should say interior offensive lineman and this guy is an absolute perennial all pro player no doubt in my mind he's one of the best to ever do it if not the best of our entire generation, and that's going to be zach martin Zach martin uh finished out with a ninety four point two p f f grade he was a first team all pro and he's a big big part of what this uh <clears throat> excuse me what this Dallas Cowboys offensive line is trying to do he's he's been an absolute staple on the all pro list pretty much ever since he got drafted by the cowboys I and mean, when we take a look at the the Dallas Cowboys as a whole what their what their team was able to do in 2021 they ended up being the number one scoring offense and the number one in yardage so the best offensive lineman on the best offense has got to be included on in our ranking somewhere here I know he plays with a lot of really really good players so that that that's gonna boost his stock a little bit here but really uh, I think he's a transcendent player and he needs to be on pretty much every all-decade list when it comes to, when it comes to this time uh, f- a few years down the road here when we're when we're looking back at the 2010s and 2020s. So Zach Martin number 2 on our list for interior offensive linemen in 2021. And the number one uh, interior offensive lineman for 2021 and this might be someone accusing me of being a little bit a uh, bias here and using a little bit of his resume to his advantage. Because uh, his his PFF grade was a little bit down this year. But it's going to be Quentin Nelson is the number one offensive interior lineman for 2021. And I, in my opinion, I think uh, you see his grade suffer a little bit. Because I think he was trying to play hurt really early in the season there. When uh, he wasn't exactly ready to go. But the team needed him. They needed to get him on the field. Uh, this is a completely different offense when he is out there. He's he's possibly the best run blocker of the last like two decades. Which is saying a lot when you're looking at at some of the competition he's going up against. But uh, he, he was drafted as a top five pick, and he's been worth every single dollar they've paid him. He's been an absolute monster in that offensive line. And there's, I mean, we can run through their stats here, but this is the number one rushing team. Uh, and excuse me, not the number one rushing team, but they had the number one rusher in all the entire league this year with Jonathan Taylor absolutely exploding onto the scene, and they finished second in rushing. So, A big part of what they're doing up front is what this guy is able to open up for you. I mean, taking, you know, best defenders on along the offensive front, or excuse me, the defensive front, being able to get to the second level, double and chip, all all these different kind of things that these offensive linemen are able to do nowadays, and all these different uh, diverse kind of schemes that they're able to do. And really, when you take a look at the the Colts, their entire bread and butter is this run game. I mean, Carson Wentz isn't going to... Be this dominant passer that people are were hoping he was going to be but I mean Jonathan Taylor is as advertised and it's a it's a it's a big part of who the big uglies are up front that are paving the way for him and Quentin Nelson is one of the best guards of his generation if not the best guard of his generation so he's got to be number one on this list even if he had a little bit of a down year in, in some people's eyes I still think that his presence alone uh commands just this energy and this aura for this offensive line and when they're all together and they're operating at full capacity there's not many people that are going to stop this unit as they're plowing these huge rush lanes for Jonathan Taylor so Quentin Nelson the number one offense or interior interior offensive lineman in my opinion for 2021. So that's going to be it for this week's show I appreciate everybody tuning in I know we mentioned that we were going to try to get into some of the defender stuff with the, the trenches but instead of going in at 50% I didn't quite have enough time to prep so I want to make sure that we have everything ready to go for you and we'll do that next week when we get into our top fives so that'll be interior defense alignment edge and I want to try to do some of the off-ball linebackers too to include them with that group so other than that we're going to jump into our, uh, our Super Bowl preview next week And then uh, make sure we keep an eye on uh, the coaching carousel and the, the Brian Flores news story as it continues to evolve and as soon as some of these other hirings come through. So once again, we appreciate every single one of you guys, and we'll see you next week.